Well, please join me in 1 Corinthians 15, and let's talk together about our resurrection hope. I don't know when infomercials started. They've been around a long time. <clears throat> in fact, I think of the first infomercial that I remember seeing was the Ginsu knife commercial. You've got to be of a certain generation with me to remember these amazing knives. They would, you'd be watching some show and then all of a sudden comes this infomercial and they're showing these amazing knives that can cut tomatoes, a delicate tomato, cut through a can, then go back to the tomato, like this indestructible knife. And you know how the infomercial works, whatever the product, they, they entice you with this amazing gadget of some sort. You, you want to know what the price is, but they don't tell you that right away. And you start thinking, you know, that, that is pretty amazing. I think I'd like to have whatever it is. And then they finally give you the price and you think, well, it's a little high, but for an amazing product like that, maybe, maybe. But then they say, but wait, there's more. Remember that line? We learned that from infomercials, but wait, there's more. And they try to sweeten the deal. So they might say, look, if you order now, we'll give you a second set of knives. And we didn't consider what will I do with a hundred knives? I don't know, but they're just trying to sweeten the deal. And then you think, well, may maybe now you give me that it's starting to look more enticing. And then some of the infomercials will do you another, but wait, there's more. And they might throw in some measuring cups in a cookbook or let you spread the payments out. What are they doing to us with these infomercials? They're trying to so sweeten the deal that we would look at this offer and go, now this is too good to pass up. I've got to act on this. Through the years as I've thought about my salvation through Jesus Christ, I've often thought it's like that. It's as if God is saying, you know, there is more. There is more and more. I think back when I first put my faith in Jesus by his grace, um, I didn't know. I didn't know very much at all. I just knew this. I knew I can be saved. I'm not going to perish in my sins. That's enough. Give me that salvation. But it's more than that. So let's consider together on our way to 1 Corinthians 15, just some of the things God has offered to you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. So first, eternal life. That's how most of us came into this. I, I want eternal life. I don't want to perish for my sins as I deserve. I want to be forgiven. I want to be in heaven when I die. And that is true. If you trust in Jesus, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. But there is more. You get eternal life with Jesus, but listen, you get Jesus. And didn't we just sing about Jesus being our treasure? So we're awaiting heaven. But if you turn from your sins and you've trusted in Jesus, you have him, the great treasure, the great joy of life. But there's more. When you trust in Jesus, you get the indwelling Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God, the Spirit. He takes up residence in you. I didn't know that the moment I believed. I just knew I needed Jesus. I'm trusting him. But there was so much more. Doesn't the scripture tell us that we are temples now of the Holy Spirit? He lives in us. That's amazing. Convicting us when we get off track, guiding us, comforting us, does so much for us. But there's more. He gives us the word of God. So this treasure of the inerrant, infallible word of God that he inspired and preserved for us. You have a copy of God's word where you learn what God's like. He's revealed himself in scripture and he guides your life through his word. And there's more than that even. He's given you a new family. I hope you enjoy the family you're in. But in addition to the family you maybe were born into or married into, you have a new family. You have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. 
And in this local church, you have people who will walk through this life with you who actually love you. And there's more. You have the gift of prayer now that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. Think of this. You have access to God the Father, Almighty God, at any time. There's never a season, never a time of day when he's closed for the night. You have 24-7 access to God. It's his idea that you can come to him. And we're just another one. You have purpose now. You had no purpose before. You thought you did, but you were living an aimless life, just frittering away your years and then enter Jesus. And now you're into the mission of God to take this good news to the nations. But today from 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to see there's still a future dimension to your salvation. As good as all that is that we just recounted, it's going to get even better. Today, you're going to see that you are destined for a glorious resurrection of your own. This very body that you're in will one day be buried, but raised at last when Christ comes again. And so here's my prayer today, as I've preached now at 8, 9.30, and now here, that God would bring some of you who maybe have been on the fence about trusting Jesus all the way in to trusting Jesus today. So you've been thinking, I think I might need to follow him. I hope you go from might need to I will trust Jesus today. What, what God is so kind who would want to lavish these things upon me. Why would I resist him any longer? I will trust in Jesus today. I want you to know that's how I'm praying for you today if you've not yet trusted in Jesus. But now let's go into our text. 1 Corinthians 15, let's begin with verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Today, I want you to see with me that as Christians, we are resurrection people. The gospel necessarily includes these three gospel facts. First, that Christ died for our sins, that Jesus was buried and that he was raised back to life on the third day. You cannot be saved. Indeed, you are not saved if you deny one of those three things that at the heart of the gospel. So you could not say, well, I am a Christian. I just don't believe that Jesus died for my sins. You're something other than a Christian. You're, you're maybe an attender. You're interested, but you're not yet a Christian if you deny Jesus died for your sins. If you deny that he was buried, you would say, I don't know that he really physically died. If you, if you deny he literally physically died, you're, you're something other than a Christian. And if you deny that Jesus was raised back to life on the third day, you are not saved. You're not born again. Those are essential to the gospel. So already, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, you've experienced your own first resurrection. So how is it that you find yourself believing today when you were once, as the scripture says, dead in your trespasses and sins. That was all of us before Christ. We were dead in our sins. We were, we were dead people walking around. 
but then God calls us to be alive, to be able to put our faith in Christ, and now we're born again. You've already experienced one resurrection. But our text here, and what we're going to see through the remainder of chapter 15 over the next several Sundays, tells you that you and I are awaiting a future resurrection of these very bodies. So we can say it this way, this is not as good as it gets. I love being a Christian right now, but this is not the final ultimate state. It's going to get better and better. Even those presently with the Lord in heaven, right now, as the scripture says, they are absent from their bodies. They're at home with the Lord. It's glorious what they're experiencing, but what they are awaiting is the same thing we're awaiting when Jesus comes. Even our very broken bodies, our, our diseased bodies, these bodies will one day be raised up, transformed, aren't you glad, to be reunited with us in that day. That's what we're going to be learning about here in the text. So today, though, we have this question from Paul in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So there were some in the Corinthian church saying, I'm not so sure about this resurrection of our bodies in the future. I believe that Jesus died and was raised, but I don't know about resurrection in general. And so Paul is having to address that. Now, we have a question. We, we say, well, why would they have trouble with believing that? And it appears to be part of their worldview. So growing up in that Greco-Roman culture, they had a very low view of the physical body. They would look at your body as something inferior. It was a bit of a prison that you'd want to one day be free from. And so the whole idea that there'd be a time in the future that I'd be reunited with this body after death, I don't want that at all. And there appears to be false teachers there in the church at Corinth who were teaching that and really preying upon their, their secular worldview. Now here I'm speaking to a different audience. And so I would guess that none of you are opposed to this teaching of a future bodily resurrection, but I would imagine this is new information for a lot of you. And the reason it's new information is because when we go to funerals, we rightly hear the pastors, pastors like me, talk about heaven. And that is right. Our, our loved ones have died. They have been buried or about to be buried. And the great hope is that right now in the hearing now, they, they left their bodies and they are with the Lord. But what we often don't do at the funerals to tell the rest of the story is that there is coming a time when Jesus returns that even these bodies, these precious loved ones, their bodies that we laid in the ground will one day be raised up. But again, knowing this is a new thought for some of you, I want to show you it's not a new thought at all. It's been in your scriptures all along. Again, we'll see it extensively here in 1 Corinthians 15 for the next several Sundays. But I want you to hear the words of Jesus. And famously in John chapter 11, we have that occasion where Jesus is about to raise a man by the name of Lazarus back to life. And the whole idea of bodily resurrection comes up in that context. So John 11, 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Listen to this. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You hear that? Martha had this resurrection hope, this understanding that there's coming a day of resurrection. And he thought, well, I know at least Lazarus will rise then. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he proceeded to raise Lazarus back to life even then. Or how about John chapter 5, verse 28, the words of our Savior. Jesus said, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice 
and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus also talked about it in John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus talked about this future resurrection that he'll bring about for us at the end. Paul preached this to the Romans. He preached it to the Philippians, to the Thessalonians, and yes, here to the Corinthians. So he now is correcting a misunderstanding among the Corinthians on this topic. And his, his argument is summarized like this. Paul is essentially saying in our passage that resurrection is real and the resurrection of Christ proves it. And if there's no resurrection, then not even Jesus has been raised. And if Jesus hasn't been raised, we have nothing. So let's look at the argument as it progresses here. Verse 13, if there's no resurrection, he says, then not even Jesus has been raised. Paul points out the inconsistency in their theology. Yes, Jesus was raised. We don't think it's going to happen to the rest of us. Some would think that that's an impossibility. That's an absurd idea. That's an unwanted outcome. That's just not so. But Paul makes the point that Jesus was raised from the dead, and that should open you up to the idea of what the Scripture teaches, that indeed there is a resurrection from the dead to come. Verse 14, this point, if Christ was not raised, then our preaching is worthless. That's verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And this takes us back to those core facts of the gospel that we saw back in verses 3 and 4. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul makes it plain that there's no gospel without Jesus's resurrection, that without the truth of Jesus physically dying and physically being raised back to life, there is no good news. Everything's in vain if there's no resurrection. Remember, Paul's used that word vain or futile multiple times already. He's told us in this chapter, it's possible somebody, for somebody to believe in vain. They've done something other than genuinely convert to Christ. Some have believed in vain. Paul said, I did not believe in vain. The grace of God has changed me. But here he said, if we could just talk about the hypothetical idea that there were no resurrection of Jesus, then all of us have a vain faith, if that were the truth. So see today that your faith is not merely resting on things like the sayings of Jesus. I think all of us here in a church on a Sunday morning would say, oh, I, I like the teachings of Jesus. I like a lot of the things Jesus said. Somebody might say, I, I love everything he ever said. But you're not saved by merely trusting in the things that Jesus said. You're saved by trusting in the death of Jesus for your sins and his resurrection. <clears throat> Neither do we have the idea that we're trusting in Jesus as merely a prophet. Jesus was not among the prophets. Jesus is God the Son who took on flesh in the womb of Mary, a virgin, who lived perfectly to go to a cross to die as a substitute for us a sacrificial death for us, and to be raised from the dead. Make sure you're trusting not just in his sayings, not trusting him as something less than he is. You're trusting in him, God in the flesh, who gave his life for you. So when we think about the resurrection, what does it do? It declares that Jesus is who he claimed to be. The resurrection of Jesus 
proclaims to us that the sacrifice he made for us was accepted by the Father. And when you consider and believe in the resurrection of Jesus, doesn't that declare you should follow him? It would be totally inconsistent to say, well, I believe he was raised from the dead. I just find other things more interesting. I have another path I want to go on. No, died for you. That's enough to make you want to follow him. Raised from the dead. Who else would I follow? He really is the treasure of life. So because of the resurrection of Jesus, we know that our faith is not in vain. It's fully substantial. It is the right firm foundation for us. And because Jesus, our Savior, was raised, Paul says, don't forget, you too, at the end, will be raised as well. But Paul's not done in this argument to them. Verse 15, if Christ has not been raised, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. So Paul says, if the resurrection somehow weren't true, we're liars, those of us who say that he was raised. We have become false teachers. A reminder again for us that we cannot have a partial Christianity. A person can't say, well, I'll just take some of the morality of Christianity. I like that. I'll take some of the nice thoughts of Christianity, but I don't want a cross and I don't want a resurrection. Give me a Christianity without those. Listen, there is no Christianity without those. And there's no morality without those because we're lying if, if these things are not true. That's the, that's the point that Paul is making. Now back to verse 16, he essentially repeats verse 13. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Now to verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, oh, and this, and you are still in your sins. That's a horrific thought, to be back in your sins, to still be in your sins. The, the great joy of knowing Jesus is to know your sins have been forgiven, right? We talked about it recently, to be saved from the penalty of sin to come. Oh, how glorious to be saved from that penalty, to be saved from the power of sin right now and from the poison of sin, as we've talked about recently. But if the resurrection is not true, Paul says, actually, you're still in sin. You're still going to be judged for these sins if there's no resurrection of Christ, because now there's no gospel, if that were true. Then verse 18, if Christ has not been raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So all that hope you have for your loved ones who died in Christ, if there is no resurrection, they did perish instead of have everlasting life. So the point here is all would be vain. All would be lost without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Do you hear how essential the resurrection is to the gospel we preach? So very practically for us, when we're sharing the good news with the people we care about in our lives, we should always include in that sharing the resurrection of Jesus. So typically, if we're trying to share with someone their need for Jesus, we typically have to start with God being good and holy. And that's why we see a problem. He's good and holy. We're not. We've all sinned. And so we think, well, what's, what's the remedy for sin? And we then take people to the cross of Jesus, that God still loved us while we were sinners, that Christ died for us. And I hope when you're sharing the good news with others, you do spend some time on the cross. Jesus dying in our place. He was a substitutionary sacrifice for us to take away our sins. I hope you spend time there. But don't end there. Make sure as you're sharing the gospel with a friend who needs Christ, that he was raised from the dead on the third day. That is the complete gospel message. So here's a question for you this morning as we begin applying this. It's this question. Is your faith resting on this gospel? 
When you think about, oh, I know I'm right with God, how do you know you're right with God? And is your answer, well, I'm right with God because I'm trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Make sure that you're not trusting on anything else. It's very possible, very common, actually, for people to trust in something other than what Jesus did on the cross and resurrection to make them right with God. Many people are like, well, I'm trying to be a nice person. I'm better than I used to be, or I'm better than those people in the county jail. And therefore, because I'm better than some other people, that I'm right with God. That's not the gospel. That won't save you. Our hope is in the death of Christ for our sins and in his resurrection. So Paul then takes it to another dimension here. He takes this hypothetical idea, the idea that if Christ had not been raised, he says this now, verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul is essentially saying this, if we were to live fully for Christ like we're doing, and there's no eternal life to come, then we're to be considered more pitiful than anybody else on all the earth. Charles Hodge, a commentator, said this. He said, this passage does not teach that Christians are more miserable in this life than other people. This is contrary to experience. Christians are unspeakable, unspeakably happier than any other people. All that Paul means to say is that if you take Christ from Christians, you take their all. He is the source not only of their future, but of their present happiness. Without him, they are still in their sins, under the curse of the law, unreconciled to God, having no hope and without God in the world, and yet subject to all the special trials that come to Christians, which in the apostolic age often included the loss of everything. So if all we get in this life, Paul said, is what we're getting now, then this is pitiful. Think about Paul's life. He, in that age, he suffered so much. You can go back and reread 2 Corinthians as he just lists out the sufferings and the beatings and the imprisonments that were his. We know he eventually was martyred for his faith in Christ. And so if Christ has not been raised and there is no eternal life, this has been the most pitiful existence anybody could possibly have. But aren't you glad the resurrection is true? But consider with me for just a moment. If the, if the resurrection were not true, isn't it true that we would be the most pitiful people on earth? So consider this, you and I experience persecution in this life. Now, not like some in the world, but we do sense that it's heating up in our culture in various ways. Some of you are having to count the cost and some of the stands you'll have to make where you work, persecution rising. But if the gospel's not true, you would pay whatever price unnecessarily. How pitiful would that be? If this gospel were not true, you and I have been wasting colossal amounts of time. Here you got up on a Sunday morning to worship something. If it were not true, what a waste of time. And you do this every week. We would also be wasting colossal resources. We've been raising together $170,000 to give to get this gospel around the world. And if the gospel's not true, what a waste of resources to do that. Some of us have served overseas and you leave all that's familiar to live in a place where you feel keen deprivation every day. And you think if, if this gospel's not true, all of that deprivation and distance from family, all that was for nothing. How pitiful is that? And then you add to that, if it's not true, we've all been lying to each other. Every week we lie to each other about this gospel, but Jesus was raised. The resurrection is true. That's Paul's point, that we've not been fools to believe this gospel, that our faith has not been futile or empty. There remains a resurrection also to come because Jesus was raised.
Now, I love this. Paul, in this very chapter, lets us know how we know this is true. He gives evidences for the resurrection of Jesus, and he does it in verses 3 through 8. We saw this a bit last week, but let's look at it now. Paul said this, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now let's keep reading. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul just lays out, here's the evidence, here's why we know that our Savior was raised from the dead after dying for our sins. He makes it very clear here, there's, there's no hallucination about the resurrection. The, the scriptures don't portray that there was just somebody who thought, hey, I think I saw Jesus alive again. That's not the evidence. No, they are convinced of this. They know it's true. There's no secret plot for them to hatch this idea of something not true. This is no fictional teaching that somehow developed over time in the church. Notice Paul, he was alive at the time of Christ himself. And he's telling you from the third day, believers were proclaiming this gospel of a risen Savior. Jesus died on a Friday. Sunday people are announcing we saw him alive. And he lays it up. I love how Paul includes there was an occasion where Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. That's impressive. All the people that he revealed himself to alive from the dead. But then Paul says, and I can give my testimony. On that road to Damascus to persecute Christians, I had an encounter with the risen Christ myself. I've seen him. And so let's pause here for just a couple of points of application that we need. First of all, bank on it. The gospel is true. And then this context of 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection of the body to come at the return of Christ is also true. So again, today, I recognize new information for some of you. Maybe you've thought, what's my eternity going to be like? I guess I'll just be a spirit forever in some kind of misty, cloud-like experience. And that's kind of how we maybe have imagined it. But when we read the scriptures, particularly the latter chapters of the book of Revelation, we read about a new heaven and a new earth. This earth resurrected in a sense and glorified, made new. And we in resurrection bodies made suitable to walk on this earth. So you've heard your whole life about streets of gold. And the scriptures portray that you will walk on those streets of gold with these very feet that you have now. Aren't you glad though? Transformed body, a renewed body at last. And so the earth itself will eventually be renewed to an Eden-like condition at the end. So believer, you have not believed in vain. You are not most to be pitied on this earth because the gospel's true. Jesus died for your sins to take them from you. He was buried. And on the third day, he was raised to life. Your hope is, is enduring and steadfast and it's joyful. So where should our pity go? If we're not most to be pitied on earth, where do you direct your pity? Everybody you know who doesn't know this gospel. Everybody you know who doesn't know what it's like to have their sins forgiven. Everybody you know who's living their life as if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. These people are most to be pitied. In fact, my prayer for us as believers in the church, that we would be broken about that more than we've been in a long time. Maybe more than ever. That, that today, when you think about those who don't know this gospel, that you'll think that that is so pitiful. 
that you're moved with compassion to people around you who have been denying their need for Jesus. They've been blind to their need for Jesus. Not that you'd be angry at them, but that you would have a, a broken heart for them, pity them, and move to them with this gospel. So how do we apply this passage today? A very interesting passage. First of all, believe. And as I told you at the beginning, I've been praying for people today who've considered their need for Jesus that today would be the day. You've been thinking about it, but, but if you needed anything to move you now to say, I'm leaving my empty life that I've been living. I'm leaving all this sin that's been entangling me. I'm, I'm leaving all these crazy thoughts that I've been told. I'm leaving those. That I might now put my faith in Jesus, the one who died for me was raised from the dead. This is the day when you consider the amazing kindness of Jesus who wants to save your soul. But even at the end of all, he'll even raise your body. Nothing will be lost for you today. Would you believe in Jesus? And you can express that belief by talking to him. Even while I'm talking now and finishing up this, this message, you could right now begin talking to him. Jesus, would you save me? I want you to take away my sin. I agree I'm a sinner. And I, I'm sorry for these sins. And I can't fix it, but you can. Jesus, you came to die for these sins, to atone for them. And you were raised. I'm putting all my faith in you, Jesus. You take my life from here on. That's what you could be doing. I pray you're doing that right where you are. Believe in Jesus. And then, believer, be joyful. Don't live like the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen. It did happen. Your resurrection or your salvation is full and complete. It will culminate in a resurrection to come. You will be saved at last, mind, soul, and even your body at the end. And then this, be bold. In light of this gospel, in light of resurrection from the dead, be bold. What is God calling you to do? Whatever he's calling you to do, do it. When you think about the fact that you have a risen Savior leading your life, that should sweep away any timidity in your life. That should move fear out of your life. If the risen Savior, who's conquered death, and he's told me he's going to raise me up at the end, if he's calling me to do something, I will be bold to do that. So live courageously for Christ, not cautiously for comforts. Well, this is a it's a special day in the life of the church. It was our final Sunday for a while to have Charlie and Mary Sell and Chloe, their daughter, with us. Because tomorrow morning early, they get on a plane to fly back to Peru, where they've been sharing the gospel now for a number of years. Some of us were around when the Sells first experienced their call to missions. Charlie had a very comfortable job, a good job, I think a very exciting job in the past. And, uh, but we remember as a church family, those of us who were here then, when when Charlie and Mary expressed that God had called them to be missionaries, to take the good news to another culture. And they really looked at the whole world of where God might send them. But, but God called them eventually, as it turns out, to Peru. And, but when we, with those of us around those days, we remember when Charlie and Mary sold a very beautiful home within walking distance here of the church. That was, a, that was a sacrifice, wasn't it, those of us around? And all of their possessions, they had to dispose of those. Maybe store a few things, but sell things, give things away. And then you just get on a plane with some suitcases. And then off you go with the gospel. Can I tell you, we don't pity Charlie and Mary. We say they were right. God called them to take this true gospel to people who did not hear. They moved out with pity to those who need this good news. We say that is absolutely right. And they modeled for us what that looks like when I truly believe this gospel. God may call some of you to also be international missionaries. I pray that he will. 
But for most of us, we're called right here. And we ought to have the same belief in this gospel, the same compassion for those lost around us. Let's not be timid with this good news. It is true. We've not believed in vain. Let's take this gospel to the people we care about all around us here in our area. Let's pray together. Lord, so many wonderful thoughts here in this passage, so many truths for us. We are grateful to know that there's a future resurrection where you'll even raise up these bodies of ours. That is amazing. But even in the here and now, we're grateful that we're, we're walking with a, a risen Savior. That you are alive in us. And God, would you continue to steer us forward with boldness, with joy. And God, I do pray for those who today, you've clarified for them that you are the one and only Savior. You've clarified for them that they need to call on you to be saved and to follow you now as the Lord of their lives. Lord, we, we rejoice in what you're doing in saving souls. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.